Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give your neighbor a high five. Even though the screen said love and I said mercy, we need to fix that. This week we're talking about verse 2, and we're going to be talking about this passage that says, He makes me lie down. Everybody say, get down. Everybody say, step down, lie down in green pastures. He leads, everybody say leads. He leads me beside the quiet waters. You know, one of the things as we read this passage, we we reflect on all the benefits that we have in God. We have all these incredible things. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows, and we love that. But the whole key, come on, the piece of the puzzle that is at the very center is verse one that we talked about last week. The Lord is my shepherd, meaning the Lord is my leader. And many of us, sometimes we want the benefits of following Jesus, but we're not following. Well, I believe in Jesus and I have a little love in my heart. Great. He wants you to follow him and he wants you to experience the the super abundant life that we talked about last week. And last week we also talked about David. Remember, in fact, David wrote this psalm, so we spent a little bit of time talking about David. And today I want to talk about another shepherd, a shepherd by the name of Moses. Did you know that Moses was a shepherd? In fact, Moses was out shepherding his father-in-law's sheep in this uh, kind of remote town called Midian. And he was, he was uh, I, be- I believe it was Midian, right? And he was, he was uh, shepherding his sheep. And uh, he was out there and just alone, hanging out with the sheep, doing all the stuff that a shepherd does. And he sees this burning bush right? It's, it's, some of y'all are going to confuse that with the singing bush on Three Amigos. We're not talking about that. Anybody ever see? It's showing my age here. And so it was, but it was a, bush, a bush in the desert, and it was burning in the wilderness. And Moses sees it, and he walk, he's like, whoa, check it out. And God speaks to him from the burning bush. And he's like, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, back where you came from, and I want you to, to deliver my people. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so we know this. Moses the great deliverer who God calls as a shepherd, there's a whole lot there, goes back and he starts uh, experiencing all these miracles for a little over a week, at least a week that we know. He goes back and starts sharing with Pharaoh, the, the leader, the guy that was over all the children that was oppressing the people. He said, let my people go or God's going God's to bring uh, some judgment. How many know that judgment works for you? Even judgment works for you because Jesus is for you. And so he comes in, he starts declaring all this judgment, all these miracles, all this crazy stuff is happening. Literally killer uh, (laughs) judgments. And he leads the children of Israel out and they start leaving a million people. 
start following Moses out of control of Egypt. Now, as they're leaving, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, you know what? I don't think so. I want to keep these people. I want to keep them under bondage. They're working for me. These are our laborers. So I'm going to go after them. And they had a powerful army. And the children of Israel, they didn't really have an army. They were just slaves. So they didn't have anything. They knew how to build stuff, but they didn't really know how to fight. And so they start creeping up. And this is where we pick up in our story. And let me just say this about that before we jump in. You know, oftentimes old bondage will chase you down. Old bondage will come after you. Some of the patterns, some of the mindsets, some of the addictions that you had in your past, they're going to come back. And, and their purpose, listen, their purpose isn't so you can do it and claim the grace of God. No, no, no. Their purpose is to bring you back to Egypt. Their, per, their purpose is to get you entrapped to where you serve that thing again. Come on. Where your life is dictated by that addiction, by that thought process, by, the, by, that, uh, by that mindset. So God wants to free his people. And so understand, the devil knows, he knows where you were at, and he's going to try to get you there, but you just, you say no. Check this out. Just say no. Exodus chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptian, Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. How many of you know that was wisdom? Oh, Lord, help me out. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us in the desert to die? That's a good one. Isn't that a good one? That's pretty good. I can imagine my kids saying something like that. Why? Is this why? Why have you done this by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. And then Moses says, they can take from us our lives, but they will never take. Wait, wrong story. All right. (laughs) Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of our Lord. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Listen, I believe that God is going to put such a victory in your life that the things that troubled you in the past, that the things that have tempted you in the past will no longer appeal to you in any way. You will walk, listen, you'll walk into the room and smell the aroma and you won't even care. I believe God is going to set you free indeed. Then he says this, the Lord will fight for you. Everybody say he's for me. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love that verse. Now, when we use it, when we say that still, what does that mean? In the Hebrew, it means to hold your peace. You just only need to hold your peace. Today, we would say you need to chill out right? You need to not freak out. The Lord will take care of you. You need to trust, right? But that's how we would say it. Don't freak out, right? Don't freak out what I'm about to tell you. So Moses is telling the people, the the Lord is telling Moses through the people or, or telling the people through Moses. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Your job isn't to fight. Even if it was to fight, you're not very good at that. I will be your defender. So he starts singing that song. Hallelujah, great defender. I can't hit those notes. Almost, almost. So the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Don't freak out, chill. Now, when Moses says this, he's not speaking of their progress. He's speaking of their position, the posture of their 
heart. And sometimes we read that, we're like, oh yeah, just you, just, you don't do anything and God's going to deliver you. But that's actually taking that scripture totally out of context because you look in the next verse, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? In other words, why are you praying? Tell the Israelites to move on. Everybody say move on. How many of you need to move on? Come on, you need to move on. So he says, raise your staff, stretch, stretch your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can cross through the, the, the sea on dry ground. And we know the story how Moses leads the children of Israel over the sea into the wilderness. They end up being there for 40 years, not because that was God's plan, but because they allowed fear. They stopped being still. Come on. Even when they're in the midst, and that locked them in the wilderness for 40 years. But eventually they inherited the promised land. But when Moses says this, you only need to be still. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, still your heart. Trust me. I will defend you. I will take care of you. He wasn't speaking of their progress. I want to emphasize this today. God wants you to move forward, but he wants you to move forward in freedom. He wants you to move forward in trust because in trust and in freedom is where you find rest. See, some of you, you, you could get 12 hours of sleep every night for the next month and wake up and still be tired because rest has zero to do with sleep. Rest has more to do with the peace that you're functioning in, the peace that's in your life. I believe this. If you don't have good peace, you won't sleep well. So some of you, I believe you're going to be set so free today that tonight you might only sleep for five hours and it'll be the best five hours of sleep you've ever had in your life. It'll be like 30 hours for somebody else. When you realize that God has called you to this place of rest that's found through peace. Those two are absolutely connected. Now you might need to get more sleep. That might be one of the things that you need to do in your life. God has a place of rest and safety for us in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of transition. We've all been through transitions. Come on, those are not fun. I heard one guy say, you know, God closes one door to open another, and sometimes it's hell in the hallway. And I believe that. But you know what? You can have peace when there's hell in the hallway. The peace doesn't leave you because peace is found in a person, not in a place. Peace, Peace is not found in your circumstance. It's not found by who you're married to or how your kids are acting or the job that you have or the school you're going to or even the church you're going to. Peace has to do with the presence of Jesus. The reality is, is we have a mindset that we will have peace once we get there. Once I get to the promised land, this is what the children of Israel thought. They didn't really want to go through what it took to get there. But they thought, when we get there, we'll have peace. When I get the right job, I'll have peace. When I get married, I'll have peace. When I get the right spouse, I'll have peace. If I can find someone to make me feel a certain way, I'll have peace. When my children are above four years old, I'll have peace. When my spouse comes to Jesus, I'll have peace. When I find the right church, I'll have peace. When everybody's nice to me, I'll have peace. When the election goes my way, I'll have peace. Listen, beloved, we are not trusting in a politician. We're not trusting in a government. 
you look, you look at the government the apostles served under, where Christians were being beheaded every single day for their faith, and they maintained their peace. You don't know how bad it can get. Our comfy little America has ruined our ability to sustain peace because we read a, f- a post on Facebook and we can't sleep that night. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I ain't, I ain't going to say that I never succumb to that because I do at times. But God's plan for us is that we would have peace anywhere we are, regardless of the circumstances. My peace is not dictated by what is happening around me. It's dictated by what is happening within me. So God wants us to lie down. He wants us to have that rest. And he wants us to have it in green pasture. Through his leadership, this is where he leads us. That word, lay down, means that we would have a restful spirit a quiet contentment. If you can't, listen, if you can't be content with what you have now, you won't be content with what you have then. And you won't have peace. In fact, that will only complicate your peace. I'll get married and then everything will be good. Not necessarily, beloved, because some of those issues will magnify, compound, Some of you need to put a ring on it. Let's be real. All right. But God wants us to lie down in green pastures. Ezekiel 34. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love the yes of God. We could just stop right there. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Woo. I will give him good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. And they will lie down in pleasant places. Everybody say pleasant places. And feed them in lush. Everybody say lush. Lush pastures. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. Now for sheep, they're just like us. There's a couple of things that have to be in order for them to be rested, for them to lay down. In fact, the sheep, there's certain things that will, will hinder a sheep from even getting down. That's why he says, you make me lie down. Right? I got to put, he got to put you down to get you to lay down. Now, I don't think that God does that through, come on, demonic things. But he will humble us because he wants you to rest. Rest is found through peace. Rest is found through trust. Number one, a sheep can't rest if it's not free of fear. It must be free. These are some of the conditions. It must be, number one, free from fear. See, sheep are prone to fear. And in their timidity, they will not lie down if they're afraid. We talked about this last week, that sheep are skittish, man. They're like, they're sheepish. They run off. What's going on? Right? They're all scampering. I like that word, scamper. You know, you just, you throw a little feed at them, you know, and they, where they go? They're running off. They're skittish. Why? They're just prone to fear. We are prone to fear. We're prone to worry and concern and anxiety. Beloved, can I tell you that all those things are learned behaviors? Did you know you learned how to, how to worry? Remember when you were a little kid and you didn't worry about anything? I mean, my kids aren't going to come in and, you know, well, I went to the doctor today, and I got an ulcer because I've been 
I know I'm only four years old, but I've really been stressing out about the bills, right? I mean, that is just, they don't freak out like that. You learn, you learn how to worry. You learn how to fear. You learn how to be concerned. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm just concerned. And you're also lying. Oh, that we would unlearn worry and fear. I think about Yoda and that wise statement he made. You must unlearn what you have learned. We must unlearn what we've learned. We must unlearn fear. We must unlearn anxiety. And you know what really all boils down to, and this is free today, it all really boils down to control. I'm afraid I won't be in control. I'm afraid I won't be able to lead my own life. That sounds like a great place to be. Well, how, 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 how do we get free from fear? Well, you realize that the good shepherd is always aware of his sheep. He will always take care of you. He will always provide you. He's not, he's not an insufficient shepherd. And you recognize that he will never, ever leave you. He'll never leave you to your own devices. And beloved, if you leave him, guess what he'll do? He'll come chasing you. In fact, he's chasing you when you're close and he's chasing you with your far, when you're far. The father is always pursuing you relentlessly, abandonedly, radically. He's looking. He's looking for you. He wants your heart. He, want, he wants all of you. He wants all of you, beloved. He loves you so much. He wants all of you. I love what Joyce uh, Meyer says. Y'all know Joyce Meyer? Laugh in the word? Y'all know, y'all know Joyce? Rejoice in the Lord? Okay. Worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. I like the way Bill Johnson says it. He says it this way. He says that worry is to the devil to what praise is to God. Where are you investing your energy? Can't you see that it is unproductive? So in order to rest, we must be free from fear. Number two, we must be free from friction. And when we talk about friction, we're talking about the friction that happens between other sheep. How many times have you went to bed and you're so frustrated that I can't convince them to think like I think? <laughs> can't, I can't get them to be like I am. <laughs> and she's sleeping right next to me. I'm not talking about me. He's sleeping. There we go. There's two involved in friction, the afflicted and the afflictor. Some of you think you're afflicted. You're not afflicted. You just, you're so insecure that you think everybody's against you. And that will keep you from rest. Insecurity. Shame. Sheep sometimes feel like that they must stand up and defend their rights and contest and challenge. And some sheep are mean. Although sheep stand very little chance against predators, many times they can buck, kick, bite, and bully their way around for position. We see this. These dominant personality. Yeah, there's dominant personality. We act like that's a bad thing. Let me tell you, if it wasn't for dominant personalities, nothing would ever get done. However, when we use our personality as an excuse for anything, 
anything, the way you worship, the way that you act, the way that you drive, anytime you ever dismiss it, that, that, that's called a weakness. <laughs> and we all got them. A strong personalities too. So what happens with sheep is they can't rest because there's this contention. There's this battle. There's this comparison. And we live in this age where we have comparison in front of us with a little screen that's controlling our lives 24-7. And we're looking and we're going, maybe my life can be as happy as theirs. Beloved, can I tell you that most people that post on social media, they're not as happy as they appear. They're giving you the highlight reel. I do it. The reason why I know is because I do it. Listen, I pull up my phone. I got that little cool little face detector thing that when you open your, you pull up your phone and it detects your face and you're just like, hello, Josh. I'm like, yeah, it knows who I am. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I look so rough. You don't even, you don't even know who I am. I'm like. <laughs> yeah, I had to punch the numbers. So I like my phone. Then after I get cleaned up a little bit, then it recognizes me. I mean, it recognizes me with a hat with shades on, but it can't recognize me when I wake up. I, I hate to break it to you. I don't look this good when I wake up. Nah, just kidding. I'm just being facetious. All right. But listen, we had this contending, I want my life to be better. I want to look like them. And, oh, you know, they got their, you know, back when I was a kid, they got their pictures taken at Olin Mills. You know what I'm saying? I got the post. You know what I'm saying? It's like we are continually comparing ourselves to one another, continue comparing our families, comparing our relationships to what we see on somebody's highlight reel. Beloved, we all have weakness. We all have tension in our lives. And can I tell you, as we get closer to one another and we do life together, we just realize, Benny's not that perfect. And guess what? Benny goes, Pastor Josh is not that perfect. He's a lot better at preaching. Come on. Than he is at hanging out. Probably not, but maybe. But we begin to see our weaknesses because we get closer and then we get offended. And then we can't sleep. Beloved, God wants you in a relationship. Just realize that no, just like you, nobody else is perfect. So stop comparing yourself. Be who you are now and press towards who God is destined you to be. The problem is pride. Because we want to look a certain way. We want the opinion about us to be a certain way. That causes tension. Pride is, is so damaging because it can hinder not only me, but it also can hinder other sheep. This is why it says in James chapter 4, 6, you know there's only one thing that I can find in the Bible that, that really opposes, that sets God at opposition towards us? The thing is pride. That pride in our life will set us at opposition with God. That's what it says, that God opposes the proud. <laughs> That'll make you get humble real fast. Lord, I do not want to be in opposition with you. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the the humble. The humble. That's what we're chasing. We're chasing humility. The problem with pride is this, is pride will eventually find itself in isolation. Because nobody measures up. Nobody's good enough for you. If everybody was like you, the world would be perfect. 
Pride eventually ends up in isolation. And beloved, only lost sheep travel alone. The only kind of sheep you ever find by themselves are lost sheep. Because sheep don't know how to find their way. The shepherd must find them. So humble yourself and bow out to God and ask him to rescue you. So they got to be free from fear, free from friction. Number three, free from pests. One of the things that happens, uh, would happen and still today happen with with not just sheep, but all livestock is, is there's these, these flies that fly around, right? You guys ever been around a cow and it's got all these annoying flies and he's like, pff, pff, right? I'm, I'm pretty good at, pff, all right. And so you gotta, you, you've, you've seen this, it, it's irritating, right? And so with sheep, they get the same thing, bot flies and nasal flies. And so there's these flies called nasal flies. And sometimes bot flies will do this and they will fly up in the nasal cavity of the sheep. You know, they don't, they got hands, but if they lifted, they would fall because they're just not very, they're just not very good at anything. And so, you know, they're, and what will happen is these bugs will get into their nasal cavity and put eggs in there. And these eggs become larvae and they grow and they get infections in their nasal cavity and their sinuses and it drives them crazy. And they'll start like kicking around and bucking and banging their head up against trees and rocks. There's actually cases of sheep killing themselves because of nasal flies. And so if they have this activity going on in their head, they can't rest. The same way with us. What's bugging you? What's in your head? Do you ever, let's just be real authentic, all of us. Do you, ever, do you ever wake up or go to bed at night and go, what's wrong with me? What's happening in my head right now? What's going on? Am I the only one? What is that thing that's bugging me? What is that thing that is driving me crazy? And so what we do is we spend tons of money going to doctors Spend hours Google searching. Don't Google search symptoms, by the way, or you probably have cancer. We spend hours talking, counseling, and then we talk to somebody and they go, well, have you prayed about it? (laughs) Well, no, I haven't. Beloved, you don't need a diagnosis. You need resolve. You don't need a diagnosis. Well, oh, that's what's wrong with me. I've got nasal flies. Right? Great. Congratulations. Now you have an excuse. I don't want an excuse. I want resolve. And beloved, the good shepherd knows the behavior of his sheep. He knows me. He sees me. He sees me when I rise. He knows how I tick. He knows what's wrong with me. He can see inside my 
nasal cavity and he can come and he can bring healing. So the, the solution isn't trying to figure out, and I'm like, I don't have a problem with doctors and, and, and shrinks and all that stuff. I think all that, I think all good gifts come from the father, but listen, beloved, where are we running to first? Where are we placing our trust? What is bugging you and what can you do to get resolved? You can go to the good shepherd. And so what the shepherd would do is he would take that oil. I was going to bring my oil. I forgot it, but he grabs that oil. And he begins to pour, he grabs that sheep in a headlock and he begins to pour the oil on the head of that sheep until all that oil begins to go into the nasal cavity and begins to suffocate the flies, and the larva, and all the issues. And it soothes them as it's going out and all those things must leave. That's why David said he anoints right here in Psalm 23 as the shepherd, he anoints my head with oil. I believe he wants to do that for some of you today. I believe he wants to get rid of what's bugging you. What's wrong with you? I believe that there is resolve for you. Number four, they must be free from hunger. Free from fear. Free from friction. Free from pest. And free from hunger. It's strange when we read this, because a sheep eats grass, right? In order for a sheep to rest, he must be in grass, and he makes them lie down in green pastures. But they won't lie down if they're hungry. Sometimes sheep are so ignorant, they're standing in the grass going, I'm hungry. It's like a foot down, dude. Like just... Bend your little head over. And hey, the grass. Just take a little nibble. <laughs> right? This is what we do. What we do in church. I'm not getting fed. <clears throat> Beloved, you eat and rest from the same place. Just eat. The table is set, the meal is ready. Jesus paid a high price so that we can have fellowship with God and our soul can be nourished. You have this relationship with Jesus and you're hungry? You wake up and you have a Bible. There's people in the world, they don't don't have Bibles. It's illegal for them. You have a Bible. I'm hungry. Bad. Take a bite. The table is prepared. Jesus has made the way. The sheep must simply. Listen, if if I can ever lead you as a pastor in this, don't ever leave a church, whether this church or another church, because you weren't getting fed. You know what that means? That means you're immature. That means you're a baby. Last I checked, my kids, after they were about 12 months old, they could pretty much feed themselves. It didn't take them 30 years. Come on. I mean, you got a Bible? You got access to the God who created all righteous by Jesus. There he is. Let's talk. And we're spending thousands on books and doctors and all this. I'm hungry. Eat. 
It's like the fridge is full. I'm hungry. There's nothing to eat. <laughs> you go and open the pantry. It's like completely full. You're like, whoa, there's a lot of food in here. There's nothing to eat. <laughs> guilty. I'm guilty. Just because it's not what you want don't mean it's not there. So people come to me sometimes in the church. They're like, man, I just, I just feel just discouraged. I'm kind of satisfied. Well, are you? you got, you're going to have to come to church more than once every, like, two months, first of all. Um, you need to read your Bible and pray every day. That's, you're a Christian. You've got to know the shepherd. Um, are you going to community group? I mean, there's, like, a group that meets at the church tonight at 5. Like, it's pretty easy for you to come back. You need friendships. Are you going to a gathering when you can? I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying, Eat. Eat. In order to bloom where we are planted, we must first be planted and then feast where we're planted. You rest and graze from the same place. So when a sheep realizes he is in plush green pasture, it's easy for him to have confidence and rest. So I know, man, I can eat. I'm eating. And now I'm resting because of it. And the second part of this verse, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but listen, he leads me Again, that leadership word, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I've heard people say this over the years, and I want, I, want, I want to fix your stinking thinking. God does not lead people to deserts. He might lead you to the wilderness, but there's a difference between a wilderness and a desert. Because in the wilderness, there's life. It's wildlife. It might not be the life like you prefer, but there is life there. In deserts, there's no life. So when God led the children of Israel out, it, it was more of a wilderness than it was a desert. And so we say, I'm going through my desert experience. Listen, even if you are going through a desert experience, check this out. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. He's not talking about a thong spring. He's talking about water spring. They didn't have thong springs back then. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Don't you get it? (laughs) Now it springs up. Don't you get it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. In the wilderness, there's rivers. So when sheep are thirsty, this is what they do. Because they need water, just like you. So they go on search for water. I'm looking for water. But we know, again, sheep aren't real smart. So they'll drink any water. So there's like a pool of water that's been sitting there for like months. And this is the thing. You are going to drink something. You're going to drink. What are you drinking? And they might find this pool that's been sitting there that's full of algae and full of parasites. And they drink that water. And the next thing they die because of the thing that they thought was going to give them life. Let me say that again. They die from the thing they think is going to give them life. Are you drinking from something that is producing death in you, thinking that you can find life in it? The other thing is this. They go looking for that water, 
and because they're not real smart, and because they don't swim very well, and then they have this big old coat of wool. Hang with me. They go to drink from a rushing river. That's why it says quiet waters. Because if a sheep falls into a rushing river, he's in trouble. Not only can they not swim very good, but they have all this wool to absorb that water and take them straight to the bottom. And they will drown. This is what happens when we try to drink on our own. So we need the good shepherd to lead us to a quiet water. And check out the water he gives us. In John chapter 4, there's a woman. We, we talk about this story a lot. This is part of our DNA as a church. And she, this woman has no leadership in her life. She shows up at the well every day to get water. She's a Samaritan woman. And she's also... Most theologians believe she's a prostitute. If she's not a prostitute, she's a woman that's been with a lot of men. So she's a woman that's looking for love in all the wrong places. And what she thought she wanted was love, but what she needed was leadership. So Jesus shows up and starts telling her about this life that she can have. Jesus asks her for the drink, if you remember. And she's like, why are you asking me, a Samaritan woman? you knew who I was, you wouldn't even be talking to me. And Jesus is like, woman, you have like 15 husbands. That isn't what he said. He said several husbands. And then Jesus makes this statement to this woman. He says, whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never thirst. They'll never go out looking for water. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring. (laughs) Just like the prophet spoke, I will put in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later in John seven thirty eight, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Jesus says it like this, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So the shepherd doesn't just lead us to the water to drink. Listen, he don't give drinks. He gives wells. I've got a well for you. I've got a well for you. I've got a spring for you, a well for you, a spring for you. I've got a water source. So when we drink from Jesus, we don't quench our thirst. We get a fountain. You get a permanent fountain. When you come to Jesus... And Jesus is talking about in both scenarios, listen, all scenarios, the purpose of Jesus is to not just be among the people, but to get inside of the people, to fill them with the Holy Spirit, who is the living water. So how does he lead us? Through the Holy Spirit. I need a drink. Have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit.